0: Shabbat Shalom. Ephesians chapter 3 today. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3 in our series, Ephesians Hebraically. So, this is exciting as we get into this part of the text. Of course, it's building and building. But we're going to look at a couple of phrases today that I think are so important. Just in the opening verses, we're going to look at, who are these Gentiles? Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The nations, depending on your translation in verse 1. Well, who are these Gentiles? Who are these nations? And of course, in verse 2, what is a dispensation of grace? Well, we've heard it all before. Well, I'm not under law. I'm under the dispensation of grace. Is that what it really means? Well, we're going to look at these phrases because we're going to find out as we see in verses 3 and 4, the mystery of this wonderful, wonderful message which Paul, Rabbi Apostle Paul, is communicating to the congregation in Ephesus. It's a mystery, and it's still a mystery to a whole bunch of people today, especially when they think that we're under a dispensation of grace that means that we no longer have to keep the commandments of Yahuwah, because that's what I've heard for so many years. So I'm excited to jump right into the text for this reason... I, Paul, am a prisoner of Messiah Yahushua for the sake of you, the Gentiles or the nations. Does anybody have anything different in their translations other than Gentiles or nations? Anybody? Show me a hand if you have anything different in your translations. Most people translate it as Gentiles or nations. We know that at this point, Paul had been a prisoner in Rome. And now he's communicating this great message as we come about it in the third chapter to those in Ephesus. And he says, I'm a prisoner of Messiah Yahushua for the sake of you, Ethnos. The Greek word here, and I'm not one to usually use the Strong's numbers, because then it can seem like I'm trying to come off with some highbrow intellectualism. But with this, we really do need to look at the Strong's numbers, because I want you to see that I'm not making this up. Because we're going to find the Greek word ethnos, Strong's number 1484. It comes from Strong's number 1486. It means a race as of the same habit that is a tribe. What? In fact, if you look, all of the Greek Strong's number words from Greek Strong's number 1480, their words find their common root from the Greek word Eketheme, Eketheme, which is Strong's number 1620. And it means a people, listen, a people who were placed out in the elements, exposed, abandoned, and cast out. So who is he talking to here? He's talking to the Ten tribes of Israel that were exposed to the elements. They were cast out into the nations. And now this message, this great mystery, verse 3 and 4, is that there now has been a dispensation of grace and it's the regathering of the whole house of Israel, all 12 tribes. So the Greek word ethnos, if we actually connect it back, and I'll give you the workflow again, Ethnos, Strong's number 1484, from Strong's number 1486 means a race as of the same habit that is a tribe. So, the translation, if we understand it, would be, For this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Messiah Yahusha for the sake of you. The cast out tribes that were exposed and abandoned to the nations. That is the translation. And it is amazing revelation when we put this all together. Because all of the Strong's 1480 words find their common root from the Greek word eketheme, which is Strong's number 1620. And it means a people who were placed out in the elements, exposed and abandoned, cast out. That's a tribe or tribe tribes the question that you have to ask is why not use the greek word aloof or um aloof excuse me it's from um strong's number 246 and it comes from the root word um, from strong's number 243 which means foreign that is specifically gentile If he was talking to Gentiles, to foreigners that had no connection to the ten tribes of Israel, then why did he not use the Greek word alufolos? That's hard for me. But why didn't he use that word? He used another word which is connected, like I said, to the scattered tribes of Israel. We have to understand that translations, chapters, verses punctuation and grammar is not inspired the word of yahuwah is inspired but what the monks got up up to in medieval times certainly isn't inspired and we have to do our due diligence to look at the language and bring forth true revelation and of course we have to understand that these translators they often interchanged all of these different various greek words even um, strong number the greek 5443 philae is used for nations or gentiles but it means more specifically a tribe or a people nation In fact, if we look at the Hebrew word am, which is Strong's number, Hebrew um, 5971, and it comes from the Strong's number 6004, it means a people as a congregational unit, specifically a tribe as meaning those of Israel, hence collectively troops or attendants, figuratively a flock folk men nation tribe people so when the translators translated verse one did they have an agenda because if they were to truly look at the greek words it means the cast out 10 tribes that were left to the elements until the regathering of the whole house of Israel. And Yahushua said, I have not come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we know at the time of the apostolic writings, according to the half-brother of Yahushua, that the twelve tribes were still scattered abroad. They had not been regathered. So this translation, of course, is correct when we see that Yahushua, for the sake of you, the cast out tribes of israel that's amazing revelation in fact we can see how this hebrew word is even used in the torah because the torah of first mention is of course exodus chapter 1 verse 9 in the septuagint it is and he speaking about the new pharaoh said to his nation behold the race there's the word the race of the children of israel is a great multitude and is stronger than we so we're talking about the race of the children of israel those 10 northern tribes that were cast out abandoned to the elements for centuries now the mystery verse 3 and 4 is what A dispensation of grace has come and the collection of the exiles through the redemptive work of Yahushua. And we're only in verse 1. Amazing. This, to me, just is empowering as we drive into this wonderful third chapter. Let's look at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the dispensation of grace given to me for you and of course us in the 21st century we've all heard from our church brothers and sisters the dispensation of grace right you're not under the law you're under a dispensation of grace why on earth would you want to do such things as keeping the sabbath and the feast is that really what a dispensation of grace is But that's what I thought for many, many years because I listened to the party line. But let's not listen to anything but the prophet Isaiah in the 22nd chapter and the 19th verse using the Bible as a dictionary for the Bible we find. And thou shalt be removed from thy stewardship isaiah 22 verse 19 we're going to find out what a dispensation really means biblically not my ideas not your ideas the prophet isaiah will define the word for us and then we will get more revelation and thou shalt be removed from thy stewardship And from thy place. The context of Isaiah 22 verse 19 was Shebna. Now Shebna, of course, was an official of King Hezekiah. Now Shebna, right here, is judged by Yahuwah and he's demoted to that of a scribe because he abused his high position. So he's demoted to that of a scribe Because he abused his high position. Why? For self-glorification. And Yahuwah gave it to another, Elkanim. That's the context of a dispensation. Isaiah chapter 22 verse 21 says thus, And I will put him on thy robe, and I will grant him thy crown with power, and I will give thy stewardship dispensation into his hands and he shall be as a father to them that dwell in Jerusalem and to them that dwell in Judah. So what does a dispensation mean? Well, in the context of the Bible, a dispensation... Listen, a dispensation is when a chosen people or persons abuse their high position... And it's removed from them and given to another. What? Yes. Now the revelation comes. A dispensation is when a chosen people or a chosen person abuse their high position and calling and it is removed from them and given to another now examples are found with judas iscariot right the nation of israel at the golden calf they were going to be a kingdom of priests and a Royal chosen nation, the Jews that were present and they were presently corrupt and they were abusing their high position in Paul's day and the corrupt priesthood. So the point is a high position of calling has been placed upon the scattered remnant in Ephesus. They are now a chosen nation a royal priesthood because that position of priesthood has been removed from levi and placed upon them isaiah here determines the context and it's got nothing to do with well we're under the dispensation of grace we don't have to keep the law it's got everything to do with the the jews in jerusalem Were given a high position. The Levitical priesthood were given a high position and a high calling. They abused their position. They abused their calling for self-glory. It was removed from them and given to those of another tribe that was scattered out into the nations. And now you would no longer have a nation with a Levitical priesthood, but you would have the ingathered 12 tribes of Israel that would be called the priesthood of Mount to the nations removed from one and given to another that's the context of a dispensation and it's absolutely powerful revelation how come for thousands of years we've heard people say well we're under the dispensation of grace so therefore we don't have to keep the commandments because they're biblically illiterate and that is a sad sad testimony because when you track the words back to their biblical origin, you get the revelation for what it truly means. This is how we can now see that Yahweh is doing a great work with the Malchizedek priesthood in the nations today. Because we have biblical literacy coming back and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon this particular generation, to which you all are a part. That's amazing. A chosen people a royal priesthood a holy generation look at verse 3 that the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote before briefly well when did he write before briefly of course it was Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 through 16 where he said this for he is our peace who hath made both one and he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us of course last week we discovered that that middle wall of partition wasn't the oral law but it was the book of the law that was against them because they had sinned at the golden calf and now the book of the law had been removed and the priesthood had been removed the levitical priesthood and there was a transference of law now back to the Malkitic book of the covenant realm of course that middle wall The book of the law removed and abolished, having abolished in his flesh the enmity clause, even the law of commandments, not contained in covenant, but contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man. So making peace that he might reconcile both unto Elohim in one body by the tree, having slain the enmity. thereby. Of course, this was the mystery that was made known to Paul by revelation, as he had wrote before briefly in chapter 2, verse 14. Look at verse 4. When you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Moshiach. Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Ruach to his Kadosh, holy emissaries and prophets. Of course, it, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the master of glory. So it was a mystery that he was the master of glory because if the mystery had been revealed, they would never have crucified the master of glory, right? What great mystery is that? Verse 6, this mystery is that the cast-off tribes in the nations, verse 1, are joint heirs... And fellow members of the same body and co-sharers of the promise in Messiah Yahusha through the good news. That's the mystery. You see, the Old Testament, it gives us account after account after account of how Israel was supposed to be at one with the nations. In fact, they were supposed to be serving the nations as Elohim's priests. But they became so insular that they began to get caught up in idolatry and self-idolatry. It was only after the golden calf that the vision could never have been fully realized until Yahusha came on the scene to do the work of redemption. So now what we've got is Paul is communicating to these cast-off, exiled tribes or those of the nations that they are no longer to be regarded as strangers. This is actually a complete equalization of status, isn't it? This is a complete equalization of status. There's no longer Jew... Or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but you are all one in Messiah. A complete equalization of status. So my problem that we find in the Messianic movement is there is this racial superiority in hierarchy. That if you're, you know, you've got, you know, you're Jewish, this or you're, that there's all this diversity and hierarchy which negates this very equalization of status and i can't stand that because it goes against the true true gospel of messiah which is come all and know the messiah and be of equal status together no matter where you come from or no matter what color or creed that you are because quite honestly we live in a world where they are trying to ferment racism stirring it up and i say they who all of the globalists the illuminati why because racism is a social construct if you are a bible believer it's a social construct if you are a devout believer in the bible you are a follower of yahuwah the elohim of abraham isaac and jacob it is impossible for you to be racist because if you believe that Yahweh created Adam and Eve, then all of us come from the same family. Amen. The same family. So racism is a social construct that the heathen has constructed. It does not apply to Bible believers. It is impossible for us to be racist if we believe truly that we came from Adam the Havah. It is the society that constructs it To ferment it so that they can what? enslave you in your petty quabbles and struggles against one another so that you do not awaken to the taskmasters that have chains upon your back. Which are the bankers, the globalists the illuminati that are truly fermenting it why do you think now that we are having more of this in america than we have had in the past past years because of course if they can pit race against race, people against people, then we will not unite as Bible believers saying, we are Joseph's coat of many colors and you are thrusting a social construct on us that we rebuke and renounce in the mighty name of Yahushua. Let us come together and get rid of these absolute tyrants that are trying to make us make bricks without straw just as they did back in the day so i have a very big problem with that because i'm a bible believer and i know that we come from one family so therefore i reject your charges i reject it because that is for the heathen it is not for us we are a kadosh holy people and when we come together that's when we defeat tyranny absolute tyranny of course now now you can have saying that you can have groups of people you can have a bunch of pagans you can have idolaters you can have heathens you can have the spiritually fallen these are legitimate designations right but you cannot try and levy the charge of racism upon devout, holy Bible believers. Because we came from the same family. It's a social construct used to enslave you and pit one against another. And I reject it. And so should every devout person. Governments thrive upon fermenting racial tension. We're coming up on the 100th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. Of course, this is a 100 year plan for the Third World War. A 100 year plan. Government's thrive on fomenting racial tension and it is always those who say they are jews and are not but are in fact the synagogue of satan bolshevism is the synagogue of satan which today is what is called the new world order that runs our banks hollywood the media and all of this fake news It's Bolshevism rebranded, trying to foment racial tension and the Third World War with the 100 year anniversary. It wasn't the Russian Revolution. That's fake history. The Russians weren't trying to have a revolution. It was the Bolshevik Ashkenazi Jews, those who say they are Jews and are not, but are in fact the synagogue of Satan, killing the Tsars and then trying to spread their tyranny of racial division and encroaching upon Western Europe. They spread from the East, they encroached upon the West, and then, of course, Winston Churchill got Totally bought out by the Bolsheviks in London. And of course, he capitulated to them. And so did the Allies here in Wall Street. And of course, we end up with a Second World War. When in reality, this was all fermented back in 1917, if you know your history. And of course, you won't if you went to high school in America. Because they won't teach you this stuff. Because they like to ferment and cause division. Because when Yahweh's people come together, we are a powerhouse of anointed priestly blessing. Look what he says in verse 7. I became a servant of this good news by the gift of Elohim's favor given to me through the exercise of his power. And you and I need to exercise our power as anointed conservative believers in a hostile, pagan, liberal, libtard world where it is literally an abomination to walk down the streets nowadays and see the things and hear the things that you do. We need to stand up, speak up, and exercise our power as the walls crumble all around us of society. Look at verse 8. This power was given to me, the very least of his Kedoshim saints, to proclaim to the tribes the unsearchable riches of Mashiach, Messiah. Of course, unsearchable riches is the Greek word "anexi chiniastos. Anexi chiniastos in the Greek, and the context comes from Job, chapter 5, verse 9, where Yahweh sends rain upon the earth and he lifts up the lowly and the broken of heart and places them in a position of safety and exaltation. And that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to gather in the lowly of heart. He wants to put us in a position of safety and exaltation. Doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what creed you are, you are the scattered remnant that is being gathered in in these last days. And when we can all come together as one powerful voice against the tyranny that hates Yahuwah, then finally, Finally, maybe we can change things. Finally, but we have to gather. He who doesn't gather scatters and is against me, says the Master Yahuwah, through his son Yahushua. Again, we have to understand these things, verse 9, and to bring to light the plan of the mystery, which for ages was hidden in Elohim who created all things again unsearchable riches of messiah verse a is anexi chiniastos in the greek and is also found within the context of job chapter 9 verse 10 where Yahweh creates all all things, even setting his sign in the heavens, the constellations, and he reveals these unsearchable riches to the children of Elohim in stages. He doesn't just lay it all out right there, but he, he reveals these unsearchable riches in stages. Are we the final stage? Are we that final generation that this kind of revelation is coming upon this generation because he's revealing it in stages. Your parents and your grandparents didn't have the revelation of the Sabbath and the feasts and the the dietary requirements and coming together and the in-gathering of the whole house of Israel. They were stuck with a dispensation of grace meant that you didn't have to keep the commandments and you could just get all pagan and start doing everything that the nations do. Not standing up for the rights of the unborn. Not standing up for equality of all. And of course now look at the repercussions of that. The world we live in is a world of moral relativity. Moral relativity. And with that, anything goes. Anything goes. No, we renounce that. It's not truth. It's not truth. Oh, I love to do this. Turn with me to the abridged history of the Bible. Let's just enjoy this together. Psalm 78. If you ever just want to, you know, somebody is unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe somebody comes, Yahweh, we pray, to the knowledge of salvation. They've never ever read the Bible. They have no idea what you're talking about. You want to give them the history of the Bible in one chapter. Turn with me to Psalm 78. It's the history of the Bible in a chapter. I love it. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings. Which have been from the beginning. Okay I'm going to call out numbers as I do this. Because there's a certain amount of phrases that those of you that like to take notes, write down these phrases within this chapter, and it will build a foundation for the revelation that Paul is talking to the Ephesians in chapter 3. So I'll say number 1, 2, 3 as we go through, okay? I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings which have been from the beginning. All which we have heard and known. And our fathers have declared to us. They will not hid from their children to a second generation. The fathers declaring the praises of Yahuwah. Of his mighty acts. And his wonders which he wrought. And he raised up, number one, a testimony in Jacob. And he appointed, number two, a Torah in Israel which he commanded our fathers to make it known to their children that, number three, another generation might know, even the sons which should be born, and they should arise and declare them to their children, verse seven, that they might set their hope on Yahuwah and not forget the works of Elohim, but diligently seek his commandments. What number is that? Number four, seek his commandments, that they should, number five, not be as their fathers, a perverse and provoking generation. A generation which set not its heart aright, and its spirit was not steadfast with Elohim. Number six, the children of Ephraim, that's the ten northern tribes, bending and shooting with the bow, what number are we at now? seven i'm glad somebody's taking notes number seven turned back in the day of battle number eight they kept not the covenant of elohim number nine they would not walk in his torah oh we're building a platform here and they forgot his benefits and his miracles which he had showed them. And the miracles which he wrought before their fathers in the land of Egypt. In the plain of Tanais. He clave the sea and led them through. He made the waters to stand up as in a bottle. And he guided them. What number are we at? I'm so glad somebody's paying attention. Eleven. A cloud by day and all the night with a light of fire he clave a rock in the wilderness and made them drink as in a great deep and he brought water out of the rock and caused waters to flow down as rivers and they sinned yet more against him they provoked the most high in the wilderness and they tested elohim in their hearts in asking meat for the desire of their souls they spoke also against Yahuwah and said, will Yahweh be able to prepare a table in the wilderness? For as much as he smote the rock and the waters flowed and the torrents run abundantly, will he be able also to give bread to prepare a table for his people? Therefore Yahuwah heard. Oh, he heard, and he was provoked. Number 12, a fire kindled in Jacob, and wrath went up against Israel. Because they believed not in Elohim, and they trusted not in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of the heavens. Man ain't angels bread he sent them provision to the full he removed the south wind from heaven and by his might he brought in the southwest wind i mean this is literally walking us through the bible isn't it in a chapter And he rained upon them flesh like dust and feathered birds like the sand of the seas. And they fell into the midst of their camp, round about their tents. So they ate and were completely filled. And he gave them their desire. They were not disappointed of their desire. But when their food was yet in their mouth, then the indignation of Yahuwah rose up against them and slew the fattest of them oh yes the fattest of them and overthrew the choice men of israel in the midst of all this they sinned yet more and believe not in his miracles are we on number 13 thank you and their days number 13 and their days were consumed in vanity and their years in anxiety When he slew them, they sought him, and they returned and called betimes upon Elohim. And they remembered that Yahuwah was their helper. He was the Most High Elohim. In fact, he was their Redeemer. Yet they loved him only with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Number 14, they loved him only with their mouth. Number 15, they lied to him with their tongue. Number 16, their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. This is going to connect us right back to what Paul is communicating When we build the platform, that's why I'm taking the time to read us the history of the Bible in a chapter. And you take these numbered items and you'll build the platform for Ephesians chapter 3. But he is compassionate and will forgive their sins and will not destroy them. Yea, he will frequently turn away his wrath and will not kindle all his anger. In the tech room, if you could bring me a hot mic, that would be great as I begin to finish up this chapter. Verse 39. And he remembered that they are flesh, a wind that passes away and returns not. Verse 40 how often did they provoke him in the wilderness and anger him in a dry land yea they turned back and tested Yahweh, and they provoked the holy one of israel they remembered not his hand the day in which he delivered them from the hand of the oppressor how he had wrought his signs in egypt his wonders in the field of tanes And he changed their rivers into blood and their streams that they should not drink. He sent against them the dog fly and it devoured them and the frog and it spoiled them. And he gave their fruit to the canker worm and their laborers to the locust. He killed their vines with hail, their sycamores with frost. He gave up their cattle to hail and their substance to the fire He sent out against them the fury of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and affliction. A message by, what number are we on? A message by number 17, evil angels, evil angels. He made, verse 50, way for his wrath. He spared not their souls from death, but consigned their cattle to death. And smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt. The firstfruits of their labors in the tents of Ham. What number? 18. And he removed his people. Number 18. He removed his people like sheep. He led them as a flock in the wilderness. Number 19. He guided them with hope. And they feared not. But the sea covered their enemies and he brought them into the 20 mountain of his sanctuary. This mountain which is right, his right hand had purchased. 21, he cast out the nations brought from before them. 22, made them to inherit by a line of inheritance and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. 23 and they tested and provoked the most high kept not his testimonies and they turned back and 24 broke his covenant even also their fathers they became became like a crooked bow and they provoked him with their high places and they moved him to jealousy with their graven images images Yahweh heard and lightly regarded them. He greatly despised Israel. What number? 25. Number 25. And he rejected the tabernacle of seloam his tent where he dwelt among them and among men. He gave their strength into captivity, their beauty into the enemy's hand, and he gave his people to the sword. Number 26. He disdained his inheritance. He disdained his inheritance, number 26. Fire devoured their young men and their virgins mourned not. Their priests fell by the sword. Their widows shall not be wept for. So Yahuwah awakened as one out of sleep and as a mighty man who had heated up with wine. He smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He brought on them a perpetual reproach. Number 27. Number 27. And he rejected the tabernacle of Joseph. And chose not the ten scattered tribes. Or the tribe of Ephraim. Number 28. Finally. But he chose the tribe of Judah. 28 Items that I wanted you to write down from the history of the Bible in a chapter. Because this right here, when we itemize those 28 together, we have the message that Paul is communicating to the Ephesians. Remember, it begins with verse 1. These aren't just some people scattered into the nations. These aren't Gentiles. These aren't nations. These are a tribe, the 10 exiled tribes that broke the covenant. They have been cast out and left to the elements and now Paul is bringing in an equalization of status because of the redemptive work of Yahushua. If you can, I'm going to put Mr. Kevin on the spot here, bring in the hot mic and have you got them written down? Let me finish up the chapter and then we'll have Kevin just literally read these 28 items before we go back into Ephesians 3 chapter 3 verse 10 and i think you're going to see an amazing amazing thing verse 69 and he built his sanctuary on his high as on high he founded it forever on earth he chose david also his servant and took him up from the flocks of sheep he took him from following the ewes great with young to be shepherded of Jacob his servant and Israel his inheritance so he tended them in innocency and the innocency of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands now if you don't have them that was a lot to write down I can recap the 28 but it might be nice to see what you have do you want to go for it All all right okay
1: For he established uh, number one, for he established a testimony in Jacob. Two, he appointed a law in Israel. Three, that they should teach the teach them to their children. Four, that they should put their confidence in Elohim and not forget the words works of Elohim, but keep his commandments. Five, not be like their fathers. Six, their spirit was not faithful to Elohim. Seven, the sons of Ephraim, or Israel, were archers equipped with bows. Eight, they turned back in the day of battle. Nine, they did not keep the covenant of Elohim. Ten, refused to walk in his Torah. Eleven, he led them with the cloud by day. And all the night with the light of fire. Twelve. The fire was kindled against Jacob. Thirteen. He brought their days to an end in futility and their years in sudden terror. Fourteen. They deceived him with their mouth. Fifteen. They lied to him with their tongue. Sixteen. Nor were they faithful to his covenant. Seventeen. Fury and ignant and trouble, a band of evil destroying angels. Eighteen, he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Nineteen, but the sea engulfed their enemies. Twenty, he brought them to his holy land. Twenty-one, he drove out the, the nations before them. Twenty-two. Apportioned them for an inheritance by measurement. 23. They tempted and rebelled against the Most High Elohim. And 24. And they did not keep his testimonies. 25. So that he, Yahweh abandoned the dwelling place in Shiloh. 26. And was filled with wrath at his inheritance. 27. He drove his adversaries backwards and put, them in, and put on them an everlasting reproach. In 28, he chose the tribe of Ephraim, or Israel. Did not choose them, but chose the tribe of Judah.
0: Fabulous. Psalm 78, the history of the Bible in a chapter. And what you can see from those 28 items, you see the whole narrative of Israel being chosen that special treasure, that inheritance. You see the sin of the golden calf and the breach, how they're put under a law, but they can't even keep that law, that they're abandoned, that Yahuwah casts them off. He says, yes, you were my inheritance, but you lied to me with your mouth. You wouldn't even keep my Torah. You wouldn't even keep my commandments. You went a-whoring. Now you were my inheritance, but I discard my inheritance. I'm casting off the tribes of Ephraim, which are the 10 northern tribes, you're gone out to the nations, now I'm choosing Judah, I'm putting my tabernacle here, and you're gone, and now you jump back to Ephesians chapter 3, and he's telling you, hey, hey, something amazing has happened, Something amazing has happened. You, the cast out tribes that had been abandoned to the elements. There has been a new dispensation of grace. Meaning, the high position that was given to Judah and the Levitical priesthood under the book of the law. It has been removed from them. Because they used it for self-glorification and they ended up hating me. It has been removed from them and given to another. You, the cast out tribes of Israel, gathered in through the redemptive work of Yahushua. This is powerful and it has been recorded to us by the prophet By the psalmist, Isaiah, and here's Psalm 78, and it leads us right into this anointing, and we have to understand our audience would have understood the words of the great teacher Rav Sholyaksha, or Rabbi Apostle Paul, who sat under the feet of of gamaliel and he would have been able to communicate this so succinctly that they realized what this truly was and words mean things we use the bible as a dictionary for the bible and the revelation and anointing comes and now we see that we are that chosen people that royal kingdom of priests out here in the nations And I have to ask the question, as Yahweh reveals this, not all at once, but as the prophet Isaiah says, in successive pieces to each generation, that the amount of revelation that is upon this generation, are we that last generation? Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. That the manifold wisdom of Elohim may be made known to the principalities. Remember he said there in one of your underlined items was those evil principalities, was it not? That were at work within the hearts of Israel. And he now tells us, of course, that the manifold wisdom of Elohim may be known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places through the kahal, the ecclesia, the congregation of Jacob, according to the eternal purpose which he made in Messiah, Yahusha, our Saviour. Remember, Paul had already just recently battled with a bunch of Gnostics and stargazers in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He'd already dealt with those noodles. So he was already prepped for these stargazers and Gnostics. And you have to understand. I mean, so many times you can get caught up in the culture. You can get caught up in all this lights and all this technology and all of this stuff. But realize this. I said it last week. Man at his base without Yahweh, is an idolater, an idolater. He's full of idolatry. We live in a generation, mark my words, we live in a generation that has got more idolatry in front of it than any generation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And you could say, why? Well, think about it. 150 years ago in these great United States, did you have the over 3 million gods of the Hindus here? No. But as we've opened up the borders and we've invited people from all of different nations into this country, they have brought their gods with them. You go to 7-Eleven and their voodoo dolls for for sale. You go into a little Chinese mart to get some soy sauce, and you've got their gods there. Their gods are everywhere. This nation is full of idolatry. Not including, let's not forget Harvey Weinstein and Hollywood, which is mass idolatry. Then you've got MTV with all that mass idolatry, and then you've got all of these MSNBC see news hosts that people just are into idolatry with it is everywhere we are bombarded with idolatry and self-idolatry in the west is huge the love of thyself when yahuwah said that you're to love your neighbor you love yahuwah and your neighbor and on that that's how you walk out righteousness i am sick of it the idols everywhere i go with the music you go and buy a cup of coffee and it's on your cup i mean idols because as we have opened up our borders we've invited in the nations and they have brought with them their gods their gods now are taught in the school curriculum Oh, no longer do you have just the pagan holidays of the Christians. You now have, you know, the pagan holidays of all of those from the nations. Because you've got to be libtard and politically correct, right? And I use that word lib because they're liberal retards. So we just... Combine that and they're libtards. I like to use that because that really does really succinctly inform us of who they truly are liberal retards. And I know that's not politically correct, but I'm not politically correct because the gospel's not politically correct, because the Messiah's not politically correct, and neither should we be. Right? So let's continue on. I'll get off my soapbox because it's important for us to realize that Paul has already dealt with all of these idols and idolatry because he just came from Colossae and we know they were a bunch of noodles and stargazers. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 20 informs us of that. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, um, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The faith of him is the Greek word autos autos pistes. And we have to ask the question, is it our faith? Is it our faith that gives us a boldness and a confidence to be able to approach Yahweh? Is it more likely, though, that in spite of me, in spite of my weaknesses, I know for a surety that Yahushua is the faithful fulfiller of promises to those of Yahweh? Yeah. Yeah. You see, because my, my faith is great, but it wavers. So I'm not. it's not dependent upon my faith. It's that I know that Yahushua is faithful faithful to me he is faithful to you that when you're down and your faith wavers it's not that which you're dependent upon it's you're dependent upon his faithfulness to you he is the fulfiller of promises and the fulfiller of covenants and he says he will complete the good work that he started in you you know and for sure that he will do that that you're chosen that you're a chosen people you see, this is about my reliance upon Messiah. It's about your reliance upon Messiah for access. It's not your reliance upon sometimes you're doing great in your faith and sometimes you may have wavering faith. Let's not be reliant upon that, right? Because again, we have to understand the importance of the gospel message verse 13 so i ask you not to be faint paul says in my tribulations on your behalf they are your glory now there's nine byproducts nine that's nine right there nine byproducts and number 10 will find nine byproducts in the believer that tribulations produce and remember we were given over to what The promise of tribulation not peace and the tenth I believe is a sign of our times number one the byproduct of tribulation it should give you peace I know that's that's really hard to understand but if we're really really dependent upon his faithfulness the byproduct of tribulation number one is peace number two confidence number three entrance into the kingdom it's going to be by tribulation number four it's going to bring about patience number five it's going to bring about hope number six we're going to get some joy i know you won't seem like it when you're in the midst of it but tribulation will bring about joy number seven it'll even bring about comfort number eight oh yes there'll be instant prayer instant prayer number nine you will be tried and the tenth one I think it is just a sign of this generation it will come upon the last generation look what it says in a few of the verses in other books of the Bible John chapter 16 verse 33 says this these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you shall have tribulation but have confidence I have overcome the world. So there you've got your peace and confidence. Acts 14 verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of Yahweh. See, tribulations is going to bring about faith and entering into the kingdom. Romans chapter 5 verse 3. And not only so, but we glory also in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation will worketh out patience. Romans 12 verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Instant in prayer. And Second Corinthians 1 14, Who comforteth us us all in tribulation. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29. And there ye shall seek Yahuwah your Elohim. And ye shall find him wherever ye shall seek him with your whole heart. And with all your soul in your tribulation. And all these things shall come upon you in the last days. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father of our master, Yahushua the Messiah. Now you have to understand that most Jews, back in the time and the context of this writing, that they actually prayed whilst standing. So Paul is taking a note out of the book of the half-brother of Yahushua, who was known as James or Camel Knees, because he would spend so much time on his knees in prayer. So this was very much a testimonious and a sign Of the believers of Yahushua. Instead of standing for prayer. They would be kneeling for prayer. And that really marked them out. As followers of the Messiah. Verse 15. For him. Every family in heaven. And on earth. Receive his name. Now, rabbinic literature at the time in circulation it referred to whole families, even of angels, that there would be whole families of of ministering angels, but there were also whole families of fallen and demonic angels that would then come and cause mayhem amongst those scattered specifically out in the nations verse 16 we see this i pray that from his glorious riches he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his ruach so that the messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith i pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. This, of course, is talking about what we spent so much time at Sukkot talking about. The inner man. The work of the Holy Spirit is always within individuals. Even though Paul spends much of this time addressing the corporate body for reconciliation as they're coming in. The work of reconciliation always begins Where? It always begins within the heart of the individual. Then that individual, once transformed and regenerated, is supposed to then be drawn in and belong to a corporate regenerated body but it always starts with the heart of the individual and then it comes into the heart and health of the nation in congregation that's why we must fellowship together because that's healthiness because what started in your heart now you are brewing bringing that into the heart of community and congregation no matter where you are and today we've got this wonderful technology we're able to reach out to many people People. we have many people that are are working diligently in the community Mario and tamara thank you so much the work that they 're doing by hosting um, um, internet um, community is wonderful I got to be on that last week and I really see the importance of that and encourage you to to get involved with those communities that are online because We can really do amazing, amazing things. And Joshua, thank you too. So amazing stuff. Let's look at verse 18. We may have strength to grasp with all the Kedoshim what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Moshiach, which surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled up with the fullness of Elohim. And of course, this is talking about these measures of space, of course, would recall right here within this verse. You can see, look, we've got the width, the length, the height, the depth, these measures of space. Would recall the temple image. But now that temple image is what? Living stones. You are living stones. We are linked by our love to Yahushua. And our love for Yahweh uses our love for his son to build up this whole greater than its individual parts. That's why we come together with community. Let's finish up this third chapter. I know I went a little long tonight, but I think Psalm 78 is rich, and I just had to do that. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine by means of his power that works in us, to him be the glory in the community of believers and in Messiah Yahushua throughout all generations forever and forever and ever. Amen. So this chapter to me gave me such strength such strength to see within the first verse by breaking down the greek phraseology you're like this isn't to the nations or the gentiles this is to the 10 northern tribes that were scattered in the wilderness because of the consequences that are written out in psalm 78 but now the equalization of status is this amazing dispensation which dispensation the prophet isaiah tells us in chapter 22 is when somebody who of high privilege and high status who had been given a huge blessing they mishandled didn't steward that blessing properly they used it for self-glory and therefore they are demoted and the blessing is bestowed upon another and that's exactly what a dispensation is the tribe of judah had rejected messiah they had blasphemed the holy spirit by saying that the spirit that was in Messiah was that of Beelzebub when it was in fact the Ruach Hakodesh. That's the definition of blasphemy, and therefore they were given over to judgment. And then the Levitical priesthood was so corrupt, even from before the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that then Yahweh said, You used your position and your glory for self glorification. It has been removed from you, and that dispensation is now placed upon ephraim the tribe scattered out even those in ephesus and the regathering equalization status of the one new man you are a priesthood called to the nations in this last generation isn't that amazing it inspires me the word is living breathing tangible and alive and concrete especially when we get back to the language concrete biblical terms it is not for us to get into what the nations are trying to push upon us because when we look at this we really truly understand that we are the children of elohim questions comments anybody in the back or in the front or on the side or anywhere a lot, of lot of information sorry yes <laughs> <laughs> well yes He's about to do the dig, the dirg dance or something. No? Okay, I wasn't sure. He came out with a microphone. So, Abba Yahuwah, we thank you. We close this night and pray multiple blessings, Abba, upon the congregation both here and Abba on the internet. And we thank you for this time and pray your blessing upon us and upon our families and Abba that you would bring about the speedy redemption of your people in Yahusha's mighty name. Amen, amen.